Welcome to Infoblox Threat Talk, where you'll find the latest thinking on how to tap the full potential of the cloud while making your network more reliable, secure, and automated. Welcome to Threat Talk, a new podcast series from Infoblox. My name is Peter Schoff, and I've been covering IT security going on 15 years. In this series, we're setting out to map the current cybercrime threatscape, and with the help of both experts and hackers, we're digging into what threats companies are facing today and exactly what companies need to do to combat these threats. Today, I am excited to be joined by David Ayers, a member of Infoblox product marketing team responsible for service provider and DNS privacy messaging. David has spent much of his career working for major service providers focused on managed web and application hosting, and he possesses a unique blend of product management, product marketing, and sales experience, and we're really excited to tap into that today. In this podcast, we're going to cover the critical importance of securing your DNS infrastructure. David, first of all, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Well, hey, Peter. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So let's just cover the basics first. What is DNS? Why is it so important? And why is it essential to secure it? Absolutely. Well, great fundamental question here. And in lieu of a whiteboard, right, I'm going to try to uh, verbally draw in your mind here, the domain name system, or DNS, this is a fundamental foundational internet protocol that converts what uh, we sort of describe as human-readable names to IP addresses. So if you have you know, a domain name for a website or application site, it changes those names to IP addresses, provides an easy way to remember the names for many Internet-based services. I mean, just anything that's running on your phone or your laptop or anything. And if you go way, way back in history at the, I call it the dawn of time almost for the Internet, each computer had an IP address, and there were so few IP addresses, it was really easy for people to remember them. They could go to Stanford's computer systems or Harvard's or to the government or whatever. But over time, it just became unscalable. So DNS was created as a solution to sort of put out this distributed structure, these name servers. And what's really interesting is that over 30 years later, the system really still operates almost the same way that it does, even though it's having grown exponentially, you know, many, many times over. So very foundational type of thing. But the one thing that's interesting is that over time, the one thing that also hasn't changed is that the way that a resolver on a client, so I'm going to throw a term out here called a stub resolver, that's handling all the DNS lookups for an operating system. So when I go to www.whatever.com, it goes out, checks its local repository, its local cache, and sees if it knows where to go. And if not, it's going to go out and it's going to talk to a recursive resolver out there in the network and get that information back and then find out where it needs to go and it passes that up to the operating system and, and it sends you on your way, right? But to answer your second question in terms of why is it essential to secure that, well, if you think about it in a sort of twofold, that answer, from a security aspect, securing your DNS has never been more critical because from our perspective, more than 90% of malware incidents out there and more than half of all ransomware and data theft attacks rely on DNS as a vector. But then there's also secondarily a privacy aspect. DNS, like I said, is a foundational protocol. And even though things have evolved over time and we're now more comfortable than ever putting our credit card information out there, we're using HTTPS. We're actually encrypting this information as it goes through there. But the one thing is that the DNS requests themselves are still transmitted in plain text. 
So as a result, DNS has suffered what we describe as a last mile security problem. That's where the communications between that DNS client and a local DNS server are most always unencrypted and therefore it's subject to spoofing, to interception, to hijacking, and, and more problems. Yeah, I've definitely seen a bit of that myself. And you said it was foundational. So it seems to me that the earlier you can get a threat, the less damage it could do as well. So now I've been hearing a lot about these new technologies that have been recently developed to ensure DNS privacy. Can you tell me a little bit about them? Absolutely. And the lack of security in DNS has been well known for decades. And the DNS community has been actively trying to solve this. And if you go back... 20-so years, there was uh, DNS Security Extensions, or also known as DNSSEC, uh, with its acronym, that came out in the late 1990s, and it added some security features, right, authentication and data integrity checking to DNS, where basically the requester of a DNS record could validate that the response that they received was from an authoritative DNS server controlling the record. So if I ask, I know that I'm getting the response, and it's a valid response from the one DNS server that's supposed to answer that request. And that's great. It's a really good thing. It improves security, but it didn't necessarily address privacy, meaning that someone listening in on the wire could see all the DNS message in clear text. And you know, for a lot of us, you know, a great number of people out in the world, that maybe is not necessarily a problem. They haven't been concerned about that. They've been more concerned about the data that's being transmitted, that credit card information, my personal information, that sort of thing. Sure. But you have to understand that in a lot of countries around the world, a lot of different places, there are some tight rules, maybe some actual examination of that traffic, and that examination of that traffic could be used against them. You know, you've got a lot of countries that are blocking certain things, and if people were sort of going around about that, they might get caught, and, and that information could be used against them. So over the last couple of years, industry groups such as the IETF, or the Internet Engineering Task Force, they've proposed two mechanisms to address these privacy issues. And this is where these mechanisms are working by encrypting the DNS communication between your stub resolver on your laptop or your phone or tablet and the recursive DNS resolver. And one is called DNS over TLS, Transport Layer Security, or DOT, as it's affectionately called. And the other one is DNS over HTTPS, or DOE, D-O-H. And there's been a lot of news about these two new mechanisms, and even more so, a really vigorous debate on which approach is best and how to uh, roll out these approaches. Yeah, and it always strikes me when there's a lot of news about something, it's easy to get confused. So can you just specify what are the difference between these two new technologies? Absolutely. So DOT is, of course, one of those IETF standards. It uses TCP as a connection protocol to layer over TLS encryption and authentication between that client and that server. It functions at the operating system level, which in a way, and, and we'll sort of come back to that a little bit later, at the operating system level, the way that sort of things work now, the way that a stub resolver functions at this point. And it communicates over TCP port 853. 
which is a well-known port used for encrypted DNS traffic like this. So network administrators are familiar with it. They can understand it's being used. And it makes it easier in that sense for network administrators to be able to monitor and control encrypted DNS when it appears. And it's also been around a little bit longer. It's a little bit of a more mature standard backed by some of the traditional players in the industry. Now, DOE is another IETF protocol that addresses the same between the client and the server communications. It leverages this time HTTPS, which is the same port, port 443. It's the same port that you're using when you transmit your credit card information or if you're you know, buying something online to provide the encryption and the authentication between a client and a server. But what's also good to realize is that Doe is backed by the Mozilla Foundation and the Chromium projects. We're covering basically most or at least many of the web browsers that are in use out there. But a little bit different thing is that Doe operates at that application level. So if we're talking browsers, we're talking applications, whereas Dot operates at the operating system level. So it's a little bit different in terms of their approaches. Definitely. Now, in watching the news, it seems like there's been a lot more news about one of the technologies than the other. Why would you say that is? Well, it's because Doe is a little bit more controversial because of what I just mentioned. So where Dot operates at that operating system level and it communicates over a specific port that we can identify, you know, if I'm a network administrator, and so I know what's happening on the network. With DOE, since it uses port 443 or HTTPS, the same traffic that, you know, other HTTPS transmissions are, are using, as a result, this might prove challenging to be able to troubleshoot DOE-related DNS issues because of a network administrator's inability to distinguish a DOE DNS request from a regular HTTPS request. So, for example, if a network admin is deploying or employing DNS monitoring to block DNS requests to a known malicious domain, that person may not be able to see those particular requests in HTTPS. So that means that the malicious traffic could possibly go undetected. Now, it's important though to note that, right, these are things yeah. that you know we're thinking of now in this beginning, because the one thing I want to stress is that these are very evolving new technologies. So what might be brought up as an issue now over the next couple of months or a couple of years, people realize how to react to it, and then it mitigates you know some of the impacts of these things long run. I mean, essentially, it has to evolve as fast as the attacks evolve, which, which are ever-evolving, aren't they? Absolutely. So now, for folks listening, tell me a little bit more about the implication that these new technologies bring, if you would. Well, and again, when I was talking about this being an evolving set of new mechanisms and new technologies that people are bringing out here and they're talking about, with DNS being one of those foundational Internet protocols, People assume with DNS that it's almost like a utility in a way, that you flip a light switch and light turns on. They, you know, most people consider that when you go to a specific web address, it just functions. So network and security administrators have relied on DNS as this foundational thing, but it's also a significant element of their network control plane. If I'm a network or a, or a security admin, I'm on the hook to make sure that applications are accessed, you know, that it's fast and it's safe and my users are safe and I'm protecting them from malware and other internet-borne threats. So any change to how something as foundational as DNS functions is a big deal for those administrators. It's, it's a change, it's a different thing that's, you know, that's going on there. And so, there are a couple of implications that are sort of important to highlight out of this. I think one is that 
there's now this notion of centralized DNS. And what I mean by that is we're bringing the introduction of external control of DNS. We're allowing potentially clients to use centralized DNS resolvers that are controlled by third parties that are not provided by, you know, if I'm in a particular enterprise, by my enterprise IT. So that introduces a little bit more risk and makes it potentially harder to manage and secure network resources effectively. And there are a lot of public recursive DNS providers out there now, like Google, DNS, Cloudflare, Cloud9, that offer .do as part of their offerings. So what we're really talking about is the potential for DNS clients to be configured outside of an enterprise's purview to resolve to a handful of third-party external DNS providers. Now, another one, and again, it's evolving because you can find some studies out there that say there's no problems. You can see some studies out there that say, oh, that could be a problem. And that is, with this extra amount of encryption and decryption that's going on between, you know, with, with both Dot and Doe, it increases the load on each DNS query that's occurring on the DNS server and could potentially affect the user's quality of experience. So where traditional DNS and the way that I look things up now, it was introduced a long time ago with servers that didn't have as much memory or horsepower or anything, so it was designed to use minimal overhead. Both Dot and Doe run over TCP. It's more resource intensive for a DNS server. It requires DNS servers to decrypt the queries, encrypt the responses, and it just adds an extra step and extra overhead in that transmission there. And I think Doe also itself specifically introduces a couple of challenges. Operating at that application level instead of the operating system level. So when you're at the operating system level, you have one resolver that's doing all the work. With Doe, since it's at the application level, you could potentially over time see where individual applications have their own DOE DNS resolution settings. So that complicates troubleshooting a little bit, but also it could potentially complicate monitoring for DNS exploits like DNS hijacking and, and yeah. things like that. And if I were an enterprise and I want to, let's say, I'm telling my users, I don't want you doing social media. I don't want you downloading videos or accessing some sort of IPTV type of service. Doe has that potential for them to bypass those filters. But I think sure. one other thing is that on the malware and the security part is that if cyber criminals, they use DNS as a backdoor to be able to obtain and exfiltrate information, you know, security teams can stop these attacks by using threat intelligence on internal DNS infrastructure. If people are bypassing, and DOE makes it a little bit easier to bypass, it has that potential to raise that exposure to DNS-based threats that are out there. Gotcha. So in, in what you're saying, it it's really does sound like DOE is being rolled out in a different way. Can you highlight some of these differences? Well, yes. As I mentioned earlier, since DOE is backed by the Mozilla Foundation and the Chromium projects, which, you know, again, this is covering many of the web browsers that are out there. It's operating at that application level. If you look at how DOT operates at an operating system level, I have to opt in. I have to go into the operating system and say, I'm going to use DOT, whereas DOE, this can be handled at that web browser level. But what's really interesting is that Chromium and Mozilla 
each have different methods for those client web browsers to attach. So Chromium's implementation is a little bit different, and of course it does hit all the browsers that are based on the Chromium project, which include Google Chrome, Microsoft Edge, and Opera. But what Chromium is doing is they're implementing this at what you would call an opportunistic mode or an opportunistic implementation. So what they're going to do is when the browser is running and it starts up, it's going to probe a supported list of operating system configured resolvers for Doe, and it's going to use a configured resolver only if it's available. And it'll also observe potentially, you know, operating system client settings and things like that, that it sort of plays nice. If you're already controlling your DNS, Chromium sort of understands that and says, okay, I'm not going to necessarily, you know, change these settings. And for a lot of our customers, Chromium's changes at, at current time, because it could always change, may not obligate them to have to change their resolver or their network. Whereas Mozilla has taken a slightly different approach. They're rolling out services, firstly, to users within the United States only, so they're not doing this on a global scale. And Mozilla will attempt to detect and disable Doe when it deems it necessary. So if it detects that the local network is blocking what is called a canary domain, um, or if it detects private domains or IPs, it'll fall back to that operating system resolver. So there are some of these mechanisms, but the problem is, is that these techniques are not widely proven. It may not fit all the situations. And, and honestly, a lot of enterprises may not have control over the browsers installed in the organization. So if you have, let's say, a bring your own device policy, work from home policy, or other mobile scenarios, people may install Mozilla browser intentionally to bypass the control, which makes it a little bit harder, again, for you to be able to control this. And also service providers with all of their end users, you know, they're going to have to figure out how to handle having less influence over browser settings and network devices. Definitely. Now, this sounds like a lot of change with these DNS privacy technologies. The most important question, I think, is what is Infoblox's take on these? Absolutely. And again, just like you said, this is an evolving situation. These are newer mechanisms. And it's important to understand that these new DNS privacy options are just beginning to unfold. They're evolving and the way that they're being adopted is evolving. So I think that, you know, we consider solving that, that last mile problem, right? That encryption between the stub resolver and the recursive resolver. It's an important and very worthwhile effort. And we're really not advocating one, you know, approach dot to do, you know, over the other. The market's going to take care of that. And the preferences, the unique preferences of, of enterprises and organizations to adopt whatever scheme they choose to adopt. We think that it's a good effort. And we're working with our partner, the Internet Systems Consortium, towards supporting dot and do and future versions of Bind and also Infoblox's NIOS. But with that said, I think fundamentally, you know, our belief is that circumventing internal DNS infrastructure is always a bad idea. We've advocated that for a long time, and there's nothing that's out there that says we should change that position. So enterprises should take steps now to reduce the risks that these technologies could pose. It's, you know, it's understanding what's occurring, understanding the risks, and formulating, hey, what are we going to do? How are we ourselves going to to handle these new privacy mechanisms? And a good place to really start is by blocking direct DNS traffic, including dot and do, between internal IP addresses and DNS servers on the internet if they want to retain control of their DNS of, of this critical network function. And, you know, we, of course, 
encourage customers and folks out there to leverage InfoBlock's best practices to help them maintain control of their DNS and really you know, mitigate these unforeseen downstream problems from new DNS privacy initiatives. I always urge people, especially our customers, if they want to seek more information about this, they can visit the InfoBlox community website. I believe it's community.infoblox.com, where they can learn more. We, we blog about this. We have folks asking questions about this, customers asking questions. And it's just a really good place to, to learn about that. And it's a huge topic and ever-evolving. But So I, I'd like to finish the podcast with, if, if you wanted the listeners to come away with one takeaway from this podcast, what would that takeaway be, David? I think it's going back to the educate yourself, educate and understand these new privacy initiatives and how they could potentially affect your organization. And I say that because even though there's been a tremendous amount, if you go to trade sites or trade magazines, blogs, a lot of buzz out there about this. Uh, There's been a tremendous amount, especially since I think that Doe was sort of put into action on the uh, Mozilla browsers, I think back in October. A lot of people kind of going, wait, I've spoken to a lot of people at, you know, customers or on the way from trade shows. I've even talked to some customers, you know, and I talked to a guy on the airplane a couple of weeks ago coming back from a business trip. I think it was a gentleman that happened to be running IT at a university. Tons of users, tons of devices, you know, from students and campus servers and the like. Had never heard of this before. And we were just talking about, wow, you know, how is this going to impact how you're going to do business? And I I saw he he was taking notes and says, you know, I don't exactly know the answer to that, but I'm going to find out and bring it up, you know, within his organization. So it's understanding, I think, and just being prepared. Again, we want people to understand that these things are going to evolve. Solving this issue is a good thing, but just mitigate those issues and the impacts to your organization so that you're not caught on a Monday morning, let's say, and you wake up and you realize, oh my gosh, there's something on the network and I didn't understand it because of these changes. So it's understand and and map out a path of how you're going to react to it. Excellent information, and thank you so much for filling us in. This is Peter Schof of Threat Talk speaking with David Ayers of InfoBlocks. For listeners looking for more information on this and many other topics, I recommend going to InfoBlocks' website. Under the tab Resources, you'll find numerous white papers and podcasts and other information and also the site that David recommended. I'd like to thank listeners for joining me on another Threat Talk podcast. Thank you very much. You've been listening to InfoBlocks Threat Talk. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about maintaining a secure, always-on network that enables digital transformation, visit www.infoblocks.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.